awesome. Thanks. Warren, welcome. I'm really excited to, to get the chance to, to interview you. So I've got a few different things I'd love to, to dive into with you. Probably way more than we're going to be able to get to, but we'll, mm -hmm. see, uh, we'll see where we get. Absolutely. Um, so you've been working uh, for many years in men's issues, but then before that you started with, uh, with feminism, worked mm -hmm. uh, yes. for now, and you've been a journalist, uh, a journalist and, a, uh, and an author. Um, so you, your most recent book is called The Boy Crisis. It's yes. about how boys in particular are struggling mm -hmm. in our society. And this is something that's close to my heart. I was one of these kids with ADHD who had to get mm -hmm. taken out of the school system, mm -hmm. you know, struggled with, uh, with getting in fights as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I've seen kind of the, the struggles of, of, of young men, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And having worked in the parkour community as a teacher and martial arts community, seen a lot about this and one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot recently is the idea that we need an aspirational model mm -hmm. for what it means to become a man what is mm -hmm. manhood mm -hmm. um, and what is womanhood for that matter mm -hmm. um, and I was talking to a good friend of mine John Ravakey about this and he asked me a question that was a really good question to start mm -hmm. with how it what is said that's if you say uh, a good man how is that different from saying a good person mm-hmm so yes. I wanted to start there. What no, is the difference that's, that's between a, a, a good, good man versus just a good person? Well, in many ways, there shouldn't be any difference. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet, practically speaking, <laughs> there is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so uh, the, the, you know, the history of the, being a man was to, to be willing to be disposable, to be a provider protector in order to provide and to protect if, if your nation was being threatened and yeah. the Nazis were potentially coming in. Um, you, you know, Uncle Sam or some equivalent thereof said, we need you. And men heard, okay, if I'm needed and I need to be, I need to kill or be killed, um, I will serve and I will give up my life so, to protect the life of my wife, my children, and my, and my nation. And so it was, a, it was about serving. It was about being willing to be disposable. You came home from war. Uh, you might have um, not gone into a different profession. You still, all the hazardous professions were, have always been more than 90% men. Uh, the people who die at work, 93% men in the United States. Uh, one construction worker dies every, every workday hour in the United States. And so there's a real um, tendency for men to, if it's a hazardous job that puts life at risk, uh, that's gonna be um, a man, men that will be willing to set, up, uh, you know, set aside their life to do that. So that's, um, that's wonderful for the survival of the nation, the family, and so on. But it's terrible for the man. <laughs> you know, mm. if, you, if you die at age 19, you know, or you yeah, come yeah. back with PTSD and you commit suicide because um, your, your wife no longer sees you as the same person that you left because you aren't. And she understandably doesn't want somebody who's disconnected, which you had to become in order to be able to handle your best friend being killed in your arms mm -hmm. uh, in war. Um, and then you come, and then you you see you come back and you, you feel like the discipline you've learned in the the armed services is really going to be helpful to your children, but your wife your wife thinks it's cruel that you're you're so discipline oriented and you're only doing that because you don't understand how to love the child, um, yeah. which is usually very much not true, but it's a different type of love uh, that isn't understood, and so um, all of these things um, have defined men historically. Um, but just like women have now, now have the option of becoming, if they're a mom, let's say, they have three options. Option one is to work full time. Option two is to be with the children full time. And option three is to be um, um, 
um, do, do some combination of both work part-time and uh, but men have developed three sort of slightly different options if they're a middle-class man that is um, that has children and option one is to work full-time option two is to work full-time and option three is to work full-time yeah, or yeah. you know more technically accurate um, if they're a white-collar man to work um, more uh, more hours and if they're a blue-collar worker to maybe make work two jobs mm -hmm. and so um, we, st we haven't changed the options that we're giving men to become men. Mm -hmm. uh, we've ch very much changed the options to when you're a woman to say, you know, find out what you want to do and then you go, girl. Yeah. You know, get the wind between beneath your wings. And when we talk about men, we say toxic masculinity, male privilege, men yeah. are the oppressors. And so men today, especially, are having this, uh, young men today, boys, um, I was talking about this exact issue um, with, in a, uh, with a film crew um, in, by, um, by the, some waterfalls near my home. Mm -hmm. and, the, um, and some young, looked like he was in ninth grade or so, um, boy walked by and he took an interest in what we were doing. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm talking about you and yeah. your age. Come over here and tell me what you think without even hearing what I think. And he just, you know, rattled off that, you know, that he was, um, you know, that the words toxic masculinity yeah, and yeah. male power and male privilege and, um, you know, and were just, you know, the future is female. Um, yep. These are all part of what he was growing up with. And I said, do you feel this is true? And he said, no, but I really don't have answers for this. And I said, well, do you, are you, um, it seems like your energy is telling me you're heterosexual. Is that correct? And yeah. he says, yes. And he said, I said, do you have, and feels like you probably have a girlfriend and um, and and he said yes I do and I said so when you talk to your girlfriend about, he says I don't talk to my girlfriend about this <laughs> you know and I said yeah. well why not well she'd think I was anti-female um, and so he mm -hmm. and I said well if you if you got to the point where you wanted to marry her uh, would you talk to her about this long pause um, I don't know I guess I should now that you're mentioning it but Without my having mentioned it, he would have just let it go right into somebody he married, mm -hmm. and everything that's inside of him um, is being pent up and you know, not expressed. Yeah. We don't have, yeah. we don't have good sort of places for for young men to, to process the, yeah. the challenges that we face. Because one of the ways that I think about things is that we have an underlying nature, an underlying biology, and I think that that that's something that we really struggle struggle with is understanding the constraints that are put on us by our inherent nature. Yeah. But then also understanding that the uh, the ecology that that nature is playing out on is mm -hmm. changing all the time because yeah. of our technology, because of social uh, systems, because mm -hmm. of economics. And so culture to me is a way in which we try to align mm -hmm. our biology mm -hmm. with an mm -hmm. environment so that we mm -hmm. can thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the key elements of male biology, I think, is this capacity for violence. Mm -hmm. um, to go back to that first question, you know, what is a good man as opposed to a good person? My answer to that is a good man is someone who I would trust in a shield wall with me. A good man is someone I would trust in a foxhole with me. Mm -hmm. right? That has been the traditional model of masculinity. And I think it's very challenging for people to recognize that. But mm -hmm. I think that it gets at the heart of a lot of the issues that you're pointing out as well about mm -hmm. how we treat males as disposable. Mm -hmm. But the flip side to the male hero is disposable is that the idea of uh, the heroic gives young men something to aspire to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and obviously my work as a parkour athlete and martial mm-hmm. artist, right? It's very much about these, uh, this going out and pursuing becoming a more heroic individual. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's a, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to talk to you about this balance between how we respect the underlying biology, yes, right? Yes. I have this, uh, I have a nine-year-old boy mm-hmm. and um, he's, he's been a very boyish boy since he was very mm-hmm. little. He's also very sweet, you know, incredibly loving. Mm-hmm. Like when he was little, when he was two years old, if I was roughhousing with my wife, mm-hmm. he would he would get upset. He would get between with us. your wife, with my wife, I yeah. Need. He would get upset and get yes. between us and push me away. No, yeah. daddy, no. Yes. Like he already too like took on this the protector, this role right. of a protector. Yes. And um, he also started showing signs of of emotional stoicism at two years old. Mm-hmm. So at two years old, if he fell and bumped his knee and he was crying, mm-hmm. he would turn away from you mm-hmm. if you wanted to pick him up and hold mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. He would refuse to be comforted. Yes. And that's been true of him, you know, right now at like nine, we're just kind Mm -hmm. of getting him to really open himself up emotionally and Mm -hmm. teach him Mm -hmm. some emotional literacy. Mm -hmm. But he has this inherent nature that's very driven towards the pursuit of of competence and physical capacity. And he's fascinated by violence and Mm -hmm. has been from a very early age. So the other day I was. I was walking to the kitchen and we had got some big boxes from Amazon mm-hmm. and he wanted to take the boxes and go stab them with a training knife, like a, uh-huh. <laughs> like uh-huh. a martial arts training knife uh-huh. that I have. Uh-huh. And he's like, uh, Hey dad, can I uh, take these boxes into the backyard and stab them? And it struck me as so, um, your daughter didn't say the same thing. No, no, <laughs> no. I have two daughters and your, they don't, your point they don't being, do that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't go stab things in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, right. But what was interesting is he's so polite and he's so sweet and he's mm-hmm. so considerate about mm-hmm. wanting to go practice murdering things in yes, the backyard. Yes, yes. And to me, that gets to the heart of his nature. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, there's obviously a lot of variation within individuals, mm-hmm. but I think that it is uh, characteristics of men and it's, it's something that we as a society, I think, need to understand and channel well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of it now is, is just being framed as toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. When the APA came out with that, you know, stoicism, emotional reticence, capacity yes. for violence, risk-taking, all those things are just mm-hmm. negative aspects of traditional masculinity. Yes, yes. It's like you're, you're telling me that my son's inherent characteristics that he's shown since he was two years old mm-hmm. are, are negative, are negative yeah, right? Yeah, he, yeah. To me, he's being damned for his virtue. Yes. So <clears throat> I'm curious how you think about the balance between respecting these underlying natures and then also recognizing that we we don't exist within the same type of ecology and the behavior yeah. has to update. Yeah. Well, that's a very good question. And so the core thing of all human beings that, that do well in the world is learning how to adapt. Yeah. And so um, and, and then and then asking yourself through good parenting, uh, you know, what part of what you're manifesting is working for you, working for people, working for your family, working for the community, and what part isn't. So, uh, you know, the Vikings were considered the most um, vicious, yeah. and, um, you know, um, conquerors in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they finished their war, they uh, a reasonably high percentage of them married some of the English women mm-hmm. who um, whose families and co- communities they were you know ripping apart and you know yeah. killing just just months or years before 
And so, um, you know, part of what Margaret Mead talks about, about men and women, is that women are more inherently, they have a purpose by the fact that mm. they can bear a child. Yeah. And, um, and then to protect that child or children. Uh, whereas our purpose has to vary um, from that wartime where we have to disconnect and be interested in killing and being kill mm. and being okay with being killed. Um, yeah. uh, and at the same time, uh, that we have to um, not be disconnected from um, the, our nurturing qualities when we come back. And you and you know, the, in the United States, the Veterans Administration has done a terrible job of helping um, soldiers um, come back from Afghanistan or Iraq or um, anywhere that they're stationed. And, and then adjusting to family life. And you know, we, we, we are, we're at war and we're sort of learning to be very disciplined and to really do, you know, do everything precisely as we are told, mm -hmm. to follow orders. Um, and, and, when we come, and we fantasize when we're at, at war that when we come home, we'll be able to teach our son and our daughter to be really disciplined. And then we come home and the mother says, gee, you know, you're just yelling at your son to do, do it this way or your daughter to do it this way. This must come from a lack of love on your part um, for our children that I have. And I'm not going to allow, allow you to sort of tell them what to do like that yeah. and do things that they don't want to do and make and makes them come to me and cry. Um, and you're obviously insensitive to these things. And so there needs to be a whole communication system when the man comes back from being his true masculine or or not true masculine, but the masculine this part of the masculine side of himself yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and then uh, we have to teach we have to spend a lot of time helping that man adapt but to a much more nurturing type of environment helping the mom understand what the man's virtues are that he brings back or that postponed gratification that discipline mm -hmm. that being able to do the types of things your son does you know to yeah. climb you know climb over things do parkour um, and have uh, enormous capabilities and to be able to uh, sort of act out the things that he's feeling. Yeah. And so it's a combination. I mean, the main, the main distinction that we need to develop for men is to redefine the meaning of power. Mm -hmm. um, power has historically been defined um, for men as feeling obligated to earn money um, that uh, while, while our family lives longer and we die sooner. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and that's not a really great definition of power, but it is what men have learned to do. And so I think we have to make a transition from being a human doing to being a human being, if you will. Yeah. And being a human being doesn't mean that you have to be this way or that way. It means you define yourself. Um, I had a man in one of my men's groups and he, um, uh, he uh, one of the questions I had my men's groups ask is what is the biggest hole in your heart and the man said that you know the biggest hole in my heart is that when I was um, my son was born um, I was so preoccupied with my work and my business and I built a very successful business but I never paid attention to my son I never paid attention to my wife I made a fair amount of money and so my wife just said I want the money I'm d divorced get out and basically kept the son from me um, I moved to a different different country um, and I was, you know, my wife was pregnant with another, uh, my new wife was pregnant with another son. And, um, and the men's group said to me, you know, congratulations. And, so, and then, then they did one of your other fantasy experiments, um, uh, this guy says. And uh, the fantasy was, you know, what would you do with your life if you could do anything you want? 
And so he said to the group, I, if I could do anything what I want, I just want to take five years off and take care of my kid um, and get out of my business. And so the group had me check that out with my wife and my wife said that was fine, even though I thought it was ridiculous that we have to even ask her. Um, I mean, that, that, even, that I would even consider that possibility because I really didn't think mm -hmm. it was possible. And so I came back to the men's group and I said, well, it's, my wife's okay with it, but I'm not because I have, you know, dozens of legal contracts. I'll get sued. Um, yeah. and, the, and the group said to me, well, John, does your, do, you, do you own your business or does your business own you? Um, and that just shook me up. And I realized that my business owned me and which, which did make me go through and try to renegotiate the contracts. I got sued multiple times. Um, but um, I eventually did, and I said, is, is your son now born and everything? And he said, yeah, he's about two years old. And I said, well, was this a good decision to, um, and you took the time off to raise him? Yes. And he says, um, well, was this a good decision? And he said, well, Warren, it was the best decision of my life. I used to write about love, uh, and now I feel love every minute I'm engaged with my son, which I imagine is true with you as well. Mm -hmm. So at this point in time, um, some guy comes up to me. I just came back from my first book tour. Some guy came up to me and asked for my autograph. I thought was asking for my autograph. And when I reached up to sign the autograph, uh, he looked embarrassed and said, I actually meant his autograph. And, um, and the guy signs it real quickly, hands it back to him. And I said, well, the, the way you sign that so quickly must be really, um, it's, um, you must be well known. And he said, just let's continue like we are. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, no, no, really, tell me who, you, who, what's your last name? And he says, Lennon. And so, I, you know, but yeah, I, yeah. I, and I wasn't even sure who John Lennon was because I was so preoccupied with writing my books mm -hmm. that I wasn't watching TV. And I said, aren't you part of a singing group? <laughs> and he goes, yes. Um, and, yeah. and, I, and I said, well, what group is that again? And he goes, the Beatles, at which point in time I realized that uh, I was a little bit yeah. uh, <laughs> We're talking quite the ignorant. celebrity. Yes, exactly. That's a wonderful story. So, um, and, and the point in all that is that he had learned to redefine himself as a human being yeah. rather than a human doing. Yeah. And, um, After achieving tremendous success. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and most of us think, well, he had the money to be able to mm -hmm. have the freedom to do that. But he saw it as exactly the opposite of that. I had all these commitments from my business. And until the group sort of confronted him on the issue of do you own the business or does the business mm -hmm. own you, he never even considered himself, even ever thought of the realistic possibility of breaking all those contracts to do what he wanted to do as a human being. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I've actually been um, sort of processing, a, a, you know, in kind of a similar way. Uh, we teach three big transformative events every summer, mm -hmm. and it's quite exhausting for me. And so it's kind of hard on my wife and my kids. Um, and so I've, I finally have like a really good operations manager coming into my business. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, what is your vision for the business? And the vision being like, how does it serve you and your family? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. Because I've been so focused on the mission, yes. how yeah. it serves the world that that actually asking the question of what it would it look like for it to optimally serve me yes. uh, is something that I've struggled with. And, and keep that woman. Yeah. yeah. Oh, true. she's great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it comes down to like, can can it serve my wife and my kids? Yes. Optimally. That's yes. that's that's what it comes to. And, and now, a certain percentage of serving yeah. your wife and kids is serving the business well. Serving um, the business well, because, and, you know, and myself. For, yeah, yeah. Right. And because you know we want a the mission and mm -hmm. b the income. 
Um, and so, you know, when I started to, you know, I was doing extremely well speaking engagement wise, as long as I was supporting feminists and women. Yeah. But as soon as I started saying that boys have problems and men have problems and fathers are really important, uh, the feminist movement went from, um, you know, recommending me for 50 some odd speaking engagements per year down to zero to one. Yeah. And so I went, I went from being a hero to a villain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to ask myself, can I be sustainable as this, you know, this, this person speaking, um, in my opinion, a more complex truth. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about that. Like there's a validation or there's a, a deep joy that comes for me, you know, in working with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and then the same thing, uh, you know, like John Lennon and, and for many men, that's the most meaningful thing that, that, that we're going to experience. But there's also this like really intense uh, joy for me and many men don't get this in their career but when I go out and I teach on the road and I'm mm -hmm. introducing people to rough and tumble play and mm -hmm. flying through the trees and they're lit up by it it's like it fills this it's it's really a, a powerful thing and to me it comes down to these these two aspects how do we balance these two aspects of our nature that the desire for dominance the prestige mm -hmm. that came through you know being the type of man who you could you could uh, you could admire in the shield wall mm -hmm. And then being the type of man who comes at home, I'm, I'm, I think about the world from a very evolutionary perspective. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time in anthropology and evolutionary biology reading. And if you think about human beings um, mm -hmm. from an evolutionary perspective, there's a couple of interesting things. One is human males are, um, are uniquely maternal, right? Mm -hmm. Most mammal males do a lot less childcare than human mm -hmm. males do. Mm -hmm. um, and we're also, uh, uniquely um, uh, sex world, right? Mm -hmm. So female lions and male uh, and male lions, they do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Female wolves and male wolves do the same thing. Uh, gorillas, you know, they do the same thing. But mm -hmm. human males do big game hunting, mm -hmm. and that's the predominant, like the biggest demand on males in most of the world. And then warfare. Um, and then women primarily gather and hunt and process, mm -hmm. or, but they, they hunt small game. Mm -hmm. Very rarely across the world do they hunt big game, which mm -hmm. is obviously much more dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you look cross-culturally, there are cultures where men do almost no child care and mm -hmm. cultures where men do almost 50% of the child care. Mm -hmm. There's no culture where men do the majority of the child care and mm -hmm. no culture where women do the majority of the big hunting or mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. um, so we have this capacity to act in a very maternal way, and that mm -hmm. can be very rewarding for men. Mm -hmm. But we also have this capacity to actually let go of our families almost entirely in order to serve them. Yeah. And the... Which is really not letting go of your families. It's just let, yeah. letting go of the nurturing part of your family. Not having to fill, fulfill the, 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 the direct nurturing yes. role. Yes, yes, exactly. And... So we, we, we have to, I think, you know, one of my interests is to, to say to a young man, right? Like this, this thing, being a warrior, being a hero, mm -hmm. it's, it's evolved, it's in you. Mm -hmm. And there's part of you that's probably going to aspire to it. Yes. How do you, um, how do you live up to that mm -hmm. in a way that actually integrates with being mm -hmm. able to be the father as mm -hmm. well? Yes. Um, to be good to a woman yes. right to yeah. not not just attract a woman because you're strong and powerful and you know andrew tate mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. to be able to show up for that woman in a way that brings greater love into your life yes. greater love into her life yes. and greater love into the, the child's life so if we go back to that idea of um 
the, the soldier coming back from war. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of an optimal set of behaviors that mm -hmm. exist when you're potentially going to face violence at any moment. Mm -hmm. When you're in, an, uh, in a group of almost entirely other men who are also mm -hmm. worried about facing violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that changes dramatically when you're now working with children. Yes. Yeah. Um, and with a, with, and in a partnership with a woman. Mm -hmm. So how do we recognize those two parts of male behavior and give them a better capacity to integrate them yes, yes. so that they can not not lose that aspirational mm -hmm. aspect of the warrior mm -hmm. and the heroic aspect of themselves, mm -hmm. but be able to integrate it with the other demands that we face. Absolutely. One, one, of the, one of the ways we can do this most effectively in line with the types of things that you do mm -hmm. um, is to understand what dad-style parenting tends to be like. Mm -hmm. And then to understand the value of it, what it contributes, um, and then to be able to explain it with love to our wives. Yeah. So, for example, um, uh, typically speaking, uh, a man might have you, you have a son and two mm -hmm. uh, two daughters. Is yep. that correct? Yeah. So let's say you know you're a father and you have a, a son and two daughters, or you know, and you and you say. Um, Okay, uh, we're gonna rough house, mm -hmm. and you throw the three kids on the on the couch, and you say, "Okay, the game here is that the three of you jump on my back and see if the three of you can pin me down yeah, before yeah. I pin the three of you down." Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dad, great. And your mom is looking on and going, "Oh my God, I feel like I have just one one more child to monitor here," mm -hmm. you know. And um, and but on the other hand, I don't want to be too controlling, and and you know, but I just feel like somebody's gonna get hurt sooner or later. And she's only about ninety nine percent likely to be right. <laughs> so, um, and um, and then you know, she feels like okay, you know, once Sony gets her, maybe the, maybe this child will understand uh, that you can't do roughhousing. Mm -hmm. um, and but when they get hurt, um, or somebody gets hurt, you know, Dad says, you know, okay, Jimmy, you know, you, um, or whatever your son's name is, you can't stick your uh, elbow in your daughter's in in your mm -hmm. uh, your sister's um, eyes like that. And um, and you know, and uh, your son may go, okay, dad, okay, got it, got it, got it. And then you, you know, so you continue the roughhousing, but then he does the same thing again, or another kid is too aggressive versus being assertive. Yeah. And you say, you know, you knew that that was too aggressive. And, you know, oh, I didn't really, no, no, no. If you do that again, end of roughhousing. And then the next time he does it again. And that time you end the roughhousing. You set a boundary, you boundary enforced as opposed to just boundary set. And so then the kid, um, the, ne the next time they're, the, the three kids are roughhousing, they realize that they're going to have to give up. They're going to lose the roughhousing like they did the last time if they are too aggressive, if they're too, um, um, they, they don't care about their sister's or brother's feelings and so on. So what's happening there that no dad explains? Number one, the dad and the children are creating a bond, mm -hmm. which is like, um, and, and, the, and, the, and the deal is you you violate that and the value of that bond is that the kids want to do what you want them to do because they get what they want which is the roughhousing mm -hmm. it's like a puppy you know uh, yeah. if you do it this way i'll give you a little treat uh, and if you don't no treat and so instead of like with mom she'll tell the kids what to do and oftentimes it's sort of like oh mom's like you know such a you know blah, 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 yeah. you know or whatever and then, and then mom will set the boundary, but not enforce it. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're, what you're more likely to do is, um, you know, give them instruction, set a boundary, they'll break it in excitement, and then you enforce it. And then they know the next time, um, if they break it, you'll enforce it. So what's going on there? 
And here's the dynamics that don't that never get explained from father to mother that mothers can't therefore be blamed because you know, women can't hear what men don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the dynamic number one is the kids are, learning, are, are creating a bond that makes them want to play with their dad and have a big incentive to do that. Number two is that they're that when they do violate um, not caring about their sisters or their brother's feelings, uh, you're planting the seeds for empathy and you're requiring that empathy to be incorporated because the kids will lose what they really want, uh, the roughhousing, if if they're not beginning to be empathetic and conscious of what the other kids want. Mm -hmm. So here you're having, uh, and, and and then the kid has to give up what he wants to do immediately, which is push the brother or sister aside for what he'd like to have eventually, which is the roughhousing. Yeah. That's postponed gratification. Mm-hmm. Postponed gratification is the single biggest predictor of success or failure in life. Yeah. Um, and then he's, by learning the difference between being assertive and aggressive, he's learning social skills. But he's being learning social skills not because he t- you said it's good to have social skills, but because he's losing what he really wants, roughhousing. Yeah. If he doesn't manifest those social skills, and as a result of having the social skills, he has more friends, less loneliness, less depression, less likely to take drugs. And But all of these things, have you ever heard a father say this to the mom? Yeah, I'd like to do roughhousing. <laughs> well, I have. You have? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm in a unique situation because my wife actually did her uh, her master's thesis on parkour as a form of adult play. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so, so she's reading Jean you, Piaget you're, you're, and Beckhoff you're, you're and everything. Very so she's always position. known the value of rough and tumble play. She saw me do it with many kids before yes, before yeah. we had it. But we talk about these things, right? Mm-hmm. The importance of these things, and we try to share it with the, the people uh, in our community. I actually, like when I introduce people to rough and tumble play, because part of what we do is actually take adults who really haven't had a deep experience of rough and tumble play, mm-hmm. teach them di- the dynamics of good rough and tumble play. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, we're we're like going back to the research of Piaget and Jacques Pengsepp yes. and, and yeah. folks like this on it. And, um, and showing them how handicapping works. And, you know, Piaget believed that, 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 uh, that morality is iterated games, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yes. That we build up from the game. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways, rough and tumble play is kind of the original game, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That we, we start with the necessity to, to be able to solve a dominance problem without mm-hmm. engaging mm-hmm. with lethal violence. Mm-hmm. And so we develop agonistic combat, interspecies combat, mm-hmm wrestling so yeah. everywhere in the world animals will wrestle to determine mm-hmm. dominance instead mm-hmm. of using their their most lethal capacities yes. so yeah. um like venomous snakes mm-hmm. will try to pin each other's heads down mm-hmm. they don't try to strike each other with mm-hmm. their teeth mm-hmm. right goannas will try to pin each other's shoulders down yes. rats pin each other on and, the shoulders you know, um, they're not biting during yes. those interactions and buck elks will just show their yeah. uh, you know yeah. this is a buck elk uh, yeah, yeah. belt mm-hmm. and well, you know they, and they, they go just, horn to horn versus yes. horn to side. Or, or they right? just, if they're trying to kill a wolf. Or they just show each other's horns mm. to each other. Yes. And, see and, who's got the and somebody horns. goes, all right, yeah. not, don't deal yeah. with that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you back off. And, what, and why do they do that? Mm-hmm. Because the women choose the, the males that are the most alpha, meaning mm-hmm. the, the greatest amount of, um, of, of antlers. Yeah. And But what nobody says to anybody is that in order to develop those antlers at that at that level, um, you have to forfeit thirty uh, percent of your calcium, nutrition, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and nutrients. Oh, yeah. um, and therefore, if you don't immediately after um, procreating, 
if you don't immediately rut um, and get rid of those um, antlers, mm-hmm. uh, you're likely to not have enough um, nutrition uh, to survive the winter. Um, so you've got to do that. You've got to make that change extremely quickly. And, um, and, and so the, po- the, the, the point is there that, you know, that men's weakness is our facade of strength. Yeah, it's male disposability at the at the kind of like most deep biological level, yes, which yes. is that once males enter into that competition for dominance, mm-hmm. they're playing a, a faster life history strategy where they're, yes. they're going to exhaust themselves much more quickly and die earlier um, because that's the demand that allows them to be successful in that specific and, mating environment. And this physical activity is really um, translates into, into the general need for boys in particular, but also for many girls, uh, especially ADHD type girls, mm-hmm. um, to do physical activities first. Yep. So there's there's a school mm-hmm. in Bedford Stuy called um, Urban Dove, okay. um, and that school um, was formed um, from gathering together all the kids in the area uh, that were like that had already dropped out of school or were being told by counselors that if they, you know, they're, they're basically going to drop out. Yeah. It was expected that 0% of them would ever graduate from high school. Yep. Um, and so they developed a, a program, which is still going on today, um, for the first two hours of every day, the boys and girls <laughs> would um, would be physically mm-hmm. active. Mm-hmm. And now this, and the, phys- the coaches did not do the coaching with the physical activities for the rest of the day. It's just the first two hours, yep. everybody participated in physical activity. And these kids were much more settled down. And then the coaches um, went around to the classes to see kids that um, that had that have problems. Um, like say there's an algebra problem and the coach trains works with the kids to sort of treat that algebra problem as the opponent that you just played mm-hmm. against yep, yep. Um, before. And the kid sort of like looks at it in a different type of way instead of going, <sighs> the, you know, the kid is like, all right, I'm going to beat that algebra problem mm-hmm. um, and solve it. I've done that exact thing with my son. Is so, that right? Yes, so yes. That, so I was taken out of the school system when I was uh, eight years old, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. going to fourth grade because of ADHD. Mm-hmm. And ever since I've always thought, and I didn't know about this program, but I've always thought that, that all, like, I think it, most of ADHD, not all, but most of ADHD is just high movement need. Mm-hmm. Every child mm-hmm. needs to move, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's just part of their developmental demand. They have to develop their bodies to be able to be competent at all humans, Absolutely. right? And, uh, and so, yeah, I've always thought, like, if you just took those boys and, and some of the girls and just ran them and let them wrestle and did parkour with them for two hours, yeah. they're going to do great. And that's yeah. basically what happened in my my education. We only did two hours of, of homeschooling a day, mm-hmm. but the rest of the time I ran around in the woods and then my mentor mm-hmm. would roughhouse with me uh-huh. extensively. And then um, with my my son, he we have him do parkour two to three days a week, and then he does uh, wrestling or uh, jujitsu once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's like always the best behaved kid in every class that he's in and right. he will he will be great in every kind of social and mm-hmm. you know, he's very attentive to the rules and wants to do mm-hmm. things right but if you don't exercise him it comes out with his family right at the end of the day he will just be a mad kid running mm-hmm. around and just mm-hmm. pestering his sisters and so you being really, crazy you really see it right in front of you so right. if it's not like basically if we don't give him an intense physical exercise session mm-hmm. at least basically every other day, mm-hmm. then he becomes 
much more difficult to manage. Yes. And this yes. is one of the best behaved kids that you'll see. Wow. But he has that that physicality yes. and that need, yes. and it's it's just remarkable the difference between him the day after mm -hmm. a you know a parkour session versus mm -hmm. if he misses one, mm -hmm. and then you're like, oh man, this is just hard yes. to handle in the house. Yes. But the thing that I w was interesting is he's been having some anxiety issues with computers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's he's really remarkable in his ability to persevere mm -hmm. in grappling he's been training grappling since he was four years old and he's very physically strong but he's not very big for his age mm -hmm. um, and now he has to wrestle kids who are three and four years older than him in mm -hmm. order to have a competitive match mm -hmm. but sometimes he'll get into a difficult position just because kids outweigh him by 40 pounds wow. Wow. and uh, and then and you'll see that he never gives up. He always fights through mm -hmm. to the end. Mm -hmm. And he'll, sometimes he'll come off the floor and he's crying because it was overwhelming. Yeah. But we'll talk through it. And then, so when, when he started feeling like he was crying because of these computer problems, mm -hmm. I was like, what I want you to do is I want you to remember that part of you that will fight in the wrestling situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And know if you have to cry, when you're when you're facing a computer problem or a math problem or whatever mm -hmm. it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What and matters is that you have the wherewithal to keep pushing through yeah. it, and then eventually you will find success, just like you found success in martial arts, yeah. just like you found success in, in parkour. Yeah. And and crying is part of your biological strength. Yeah. Um, and it reduces stress, reduces anxiety. It's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Make use of it. Um, yeah. You know, and um, and and make use of it to um, to accomplish to and to accomplish in a balanced internal way, where you're not holding all your stress inside. Because if you do hold all your stress inside, it'll come out somewhere that it won't be appropriate for it to come out. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and that's part of what we need to, you know, instead of saying big boys don't cry, our message needs to be big boys are are open to crying when needed or mm -hmm. when it, they feel it. Uh, why should yeah. we, why should we be repressed in our feelings um, in order to be called male? Um, mm. Because that's not it's really not a healthy type of thing. On the other hand, to complain constantly uh, will we'll well, get yeah. you will get you the love and the respect of no one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the again it comes back to that dichotomy of mm. of how do we operate as uh, as potential warriors mm -hmm. and also as as loving fathers and husbands. Absolutely, and. Um, you, if you're, you know, if you're going to break down in tears and be overwhelmed in the middle of a firefight, that's a that's a uh, that's a real risk to the men around you. And so men have evaluated each other off of that. Excellent. Right. Yes. So you need to have emotional containment. Right. So what I talk about, about a lot in my work is this idea of how do we for men and women, mm -hmm. how do we build the capacity for increased emotional so an effective channel? This is mm -hmm. what women yep. tend to be good at is that they have a they have. Uh, uh, like a more capable channel for affect to move mm -hmm, through. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men have suppressed their affective yes, channel. Yes. But both sexes need uh, both to, to really feel what they're feeling, mm -hmm. the capacity to really mm -hmm. feel what they're feeling, because feeling is, is actually what tells you mm -hmm. how to interact with the world in mm -hmm. many ways. Mm -hmm. But then the ability to contain that so that you can Absolutely. act in the world. Yes, that firefighter needs to repress that mm -hmm. feeling while he's doing the, the yeah. fire and then give himself an opportunity to break down and uh, afterwards and cry yeah. cry it out and um and re recognize that it served him it served the person he was rescuing well 
for him to not get, you know, mm-hmm. for him to say, I need 10 minutes to cry before yeah, yeah. I come into the situation. You yeah. know, and it's one of the reasons why, if I, you know, if I, I sometimes joke that, you know, if, if my house was on fire and I had a choice, do I hope a liberal, compassionate, caring man <laughs> is outside seeing that? And his, his response will be, I'll call 911. Mm-hmm. And, or do I want a conservative, um, you know, repressed man to come in and uh, come in? And the answer is, I bet you, is, is obvious. Right? Yeah, well, there's utility to traditional masculinity. Yes, yes and, there is. And, and then there's also something that we need to integrate, right? We don't want to let go of it. The, the APA is, was correct in the sense that all the the descriptions that they talked about are what ha- occurs when you learn to only be a male as a human doing. Mm-hmm. But if you learn to be a male who balances those things, then those things that they're condemning are virtues when they're able to be used properly. They're tools. Mm-hmm. And as tools, they're very valuable for your family, for love, for, uh, you know, for saving other people. Um, but as um, things that you, but if you only go through those tools, if you only go through life carrying a sword and a gun, um, you're, you're, you're not gonna serve all the purposes you can um, in, in, a, in a very um, broad ranging life. You know, it used to be that, you know, that neither men nor women um, had power um, mm-hmm. They both had responsibilities. They they didn't have rights. Our, you know, our grandparents didn't talk about rights. Uh, they talked about responsibilities and obligations. Um, and but both sexes had those responsibilities and obligations. Women had to raise children. Men had to raise money or kill animals yeah. or do some equivalent of, of protecting. And um, and now we have options to be much more diverse human beings. Those options have come much more fully to women than they have to men. And the next, you know, the next stage of evolution is um, men learning to have a broad range of, of um, emotions, feelings, um, being able to serve, being able to, and, and still hold our, our old strengths. And yeah. so, um, and understanding where those strengths are valuable and when they move to a place of dysfunction, that's the new evolution look at ourselves and then choosing what combination our person, our particular personality is, not just our maleness um, and our evolutionary history is, but our part of our evolutionary history is the ability to adapt. And so to, and what's our inner personality? What's needed in this culture at this time? How much adaptation is, is, is um, meaningful to us and in accord with our personality? And blending all that together is, you know, the job of masculinity in the future. Yeah, I believe that we've run out of time. I think so. <laughs> but uh, that was wonderful, and hopefully, we can pick up the conversation Absolutely. in the future and, yes. and and go deeper. There's many more things well, I'd like give to give me uh, a, a call, and let's get do this at least over the, um, you know, the uh, uh, video. Zoom, Zoom yeah, yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Thank you very much, Warren. Re- real pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you.